Hebrews chapter 4. Let's stand for the reading. Hebrews 4, I'm going to begin the uh, very first verse, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop when, whenever I think God says, that's as far as you're going to be able to make it today. So let's just read the first verse. All right. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... So even if you haven't entered his rest, you can still enter his rest. There's always time and opportunity to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard, the message they heard, it did not benefit them. It didn't benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Heard that over and over last week from chapter 3. Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also entered, has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So if you're new here, if you can't tell, we're in the book of Hebrews, we're walking through it, and we're in chapter 4 today. We're going to get through hopefully at least Uh, the first 10 verses. Um, That may be about it, but that's okay. But as we look at this passage, one of the things we have to be reminded of is this. It's written to a bunch of believers who are being encouraged to kind of step away from their passion and zeal, their fervor from Jesus Christ, and just go back and start going, hey, Moses is fine, because Moses was a great servant of God, but we know Jesus is greater, superior to Moses, and they're being encouraged to lay off the Jesus thing because it's making people uncomfortable. And so we see this in the book of Hebrews. And it it just keeps warning Christians with Israel as the example of what not to do. All right? And there's this promise for rest with having a relationship with God. But we need to make sure we're doing what we need to do in order to enter rest with Him. And this is something, rest, 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 rest. Everybody say the word rest. This is something that's going to be important for us because this is, we, we fail to understand what rest is. Rest is not simply having relaxation. Rest is not found in watching football on TV. Rest is not found in, in necessarily having a day off. That, that can be an aspect of rest, but the rest and relaxation are different. Rest is found in knowing who Jesus Christ is and his indwelling within your life. All right, so we're going to learn more and more of what rest actually is. So here, what we find is even the first generation of the Israelites in terms of coming out of Egypt, 
they were freed from slavery in Egypt, but they failed to enter God's rest. We see that in chapter 3, verse 11. We're going to see that again in this chapter as well. This is why we know that the people of God at that point, right, they were unable to enter his rest. And so all the adults at the time, they had to stay out of the promised land. They all, for 40 years, 38 more years from when it was actually being referred to here, they had to stay out of the promised land. They had to sit in the wilderness because God would not allow them to enter the promised land. And so here's the Lord wanting them to find rest. Now, very quickly, I want to give you some stages of rest that we find in Scripture. All right, I'm going to give you some stages of rest that we find biblically. One, there is redemptive or salvation rest. All right, we, we need to understand this. There's redemption or salvation rest from slavery. We find that in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. We also find in Exodus chapter 6, 5 through 7, that there's a rest of salvation provided by redemption through Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. There's also, second, there's a possession of the promised land. So there's this rest that comes by stepping into the promises of God. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And this is a picture of victory and blessing as we walk by faith and as we walk by trusting in God. And then finally, there's an eternal, or what I would refer to as not just an eternal, but a kingdom rest, which is forever. There's a kingdom rest, an eternal rest. When Messiah reigns on earth, you, uh, I think about the book of Isaiah, especially when it comes to Isaiah chapter uh, 11, verse 10 and following. There is a kingdom, a, an eternal rest that we can have in Christ Jesus. Biblical rest is not necessarily taking a vacation or being in a place where you no longer need to work so you can finally rest. We need to remember that rest is found in complete trust and faith in God. That's what it is. Rest is found, you're going to see it up here, rest is found in complete trust and faith in God. If you desire to trust God more, if you, if you want to have greater rest, it's only found in Him. That means if you really want to have rest, you're going to try to learn more about Him. Right? If you want to have a, a greater relationship with your, with your spouse or with a good friend, you spend more time with them. It's the same thing with God. So you spend more time with God in order to find more rest in him and who he is and so we get to discover what this means so i want to in, in hebrews chapter 4 this is going to be so important for us um, because we've all heard about the rest that can be had but many were not benefiting from the faith of the rest that they could really discover and god has i'll tell you now i'm going to camp out on ch- uh, verse 2 a good bit because god has just beat that into my heart this week and in, a, in a way that has not happened in a long time. Listen to what this is saying. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, it still stands. So many of us today, many of the people I think in the church have actually not entered into rest with God. We've entered into a practice of going to church. Entering into a practice of going to church does not mean that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you have entered into trusting in who he is. I know that I speak this a lot because I'm trying to shake the rust, break the rust off of our stagnant lives when it comes to our faith. 
And so when we recognize this here, he's like, hey, listen, you can still enter into his rest. And then it says, verse 2, it says, for good news came to us just as to them. So the good news is coming. The good news is being spoken. But listen to this. It says, but the message they heard did not benefit them. It didn't help them. That means people, and I'm just going to keep breaking this down a little bit more. It's very simple. It's me saying, hey, guess what? There's salvation through Christ alone. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done in the past, God can forgive you of your sin, and God can, can give you rest, not only today, but forevermore. You can hear that, and it still may mean absolutely nothing to you. You could regurgitate what I just said, and it may not mean anything to you. It says, here they are. The good news came to them, but it did not benefit them. It did no good for them. It didn't help them. My burden today is I think that what the people of the church have heard the, the good news. They've, they've received the message that Christ wants to be in a relationship with him and with every single person, and they've heard it, but it hasn't benefited us. And this is what I love so much. Verse 2 is so good because then it tells us why. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Wow. Last week... Um, if you're here, maybe you remember I had a warning light on the stage and I would hit it, warning, warning, warning. Anybody remember that? Can everybody just say, <laughs> so good, that's so awesome. That was manipulated, I'm so sorry. Um, but it's like, it's like, so here is something else for us. Here's this warning light for us because here what we discover is, whoa, is this us? Are we hearing a message that's not benefiting us because we're not combining it, we're not mis mixing it with faith? It's no different than, than making cake. So you know where I'm going with this already. So here, we're going to make some cake. Imagine if you do this. And I brought scissors because I already saw this happening. Yes, I've been doing this for a while. Next time, though, I bring sharp scissors. All right, so you do this. This is how you make a cake. Yes, I know some of you, I don't need to hear, like, oh, that's not a good cake, it's from a box. No, I, I don't care, I don't care. All right, so you do this, and then we'll just do this. All right, so we do, we do that, and then I think you, you have oil, right, you do that. A little bit, maybe. Stop judging. It is not biblical, and it's rude. All right, so then you do that. I think they have water. How much water do they do? About the same as oil? I don't eat cake. Lay off. Okay. <laughs> I just heard somebody say, I do. Um, okay. And I, I think you've you got some eggs. All right, you do that. Done, right? And if somebody in the back could bring me a napkin, that'd be great. That's something I forgot. That'd be seriously, if you could. Um, so imagine, this is what we've done. Most people enjoy cake. I enjoy cake. I don't really eat it, but I do enjoy it. Occasionally when you get a piece, get a cup of coffee with it, it's amazing. And so, but this is, I think this is the majority of us in life. What we've done is we have, we're, imagine you being the, uh, what's this stuff called? The mix. You're the mix. 
Thank you so much, brother. I work with him every day. God bless Nathan Potter um, and primarily his wife, Lauren. Um, so imagine that's, this is what we've done. No, I'm, and you're about to have to identify what this is in your own life. We've taken this, we've put it in, and then imagine the eggs, all right? Imagine that being faith, the, the good news. Let's, let's imagine that being the good news. And you put that into an aspect of your life. And then let's just say we say, okay, let's bake it. And I take this and I put it in an oven. Does it come out very well? Does it come out good? Does it come out good? No. It'd be horrible. Nobody would want to eat it. Guys, I'm going to just cut to the chase. Here's, here's our problem is we know that there's a message of good news, but we're not, we're not mixing it in with the different aspects of our life. We're separating it, and we're not mixing it up. And I could, we know I could keep mixing this, except for the, should not have put the, the egg. The, okay, you know what I mean. Like, we could keep mixing it up, and then we could actually bake it, and it would come out as a good cake. The reason we do not have rest today is because we hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is every single one of us in some part of our life, because all of us, every one of us, has sin in our life, yes? Every one of us is broken somehow, yes? Can we just acknowledge that? And so as a result, what we need to do is we need to take the message and take the good news. And the reason we have so much stress, so much anxiety, so much depression, so much hurt, so much heartache in our life today is because we have this amazing message and we pop it in there, but we don't ever combine it and mix it up. And so we keep it compartmentalized. Here's faith. Here's, here's our money. Well, God, like we know the more you make, the smaller percentage on average that you give. Like that's just something I've shared with you before. I'm, I'm dumbfounded that in the Great Depression, they gave more percentage-wise than people do today. Blows me away. The more we make, the more you keep for yourself because look at what I've done, right? So that to me, I go, wait a second. That's jacked up. Is that, not jack- Is that jacked up to anybody else? That the more we make, the more we keep for ourselves, yet we say it's a blessing from God? And we do it in relationships. So we, we start dating somebody that isn't even a believer and somebody who doesn't share. They're not equally yoked. And so we step into a relationship and then we get up and then we start praying, God, help them come to know Jesus Christ. And then we get upset with God because he's never brought that person to a, 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 a relationship with him. And then we're angry at him. He would have told you never to have dated him to begin with. But we don't take the message and apply it to the relationship when we need to. We don't mix it up. So we do it with finances. We do it with relationships. We do it with our careers. We do it with school. We do it with all these things. We don't mix it up. With sports, right? Somebody recently said, well, sports is so good and I enjoy playing sports, all right? Um, And I, I enjoy going out getting sweaty, riding a bicycle, running, whatever I can. Like, it's a lot of fun, but everybody's like, hey, everybody knows I believe that sports is a huge idol in this world today. And can God use sports to glorify his name without a doubt? But do you know how many people, I was talking with one guy recently, yeah, but I'm using it as a platform for Jesus. I was like, when's the last time you shared Jesus? Playing the this, playing this sport. 
to be honest with me, I'm a man of the cloth, so you can't lie. And they're like, I don't know if I have. Well, then quit claiming it. You're not taking the message and mixing it in. Then it's no good. You're just justifying it to be able to do whatever you want to do. So right, if you would, go with me here for a moment. I want everybody in here to identify one part of your life. Just process it with me. One part of your life in which you need to allow faith and trust in God to actually be mixed in. Let's write it down. Get out, everybody get out a phone. Seriously, I will, you know I will wait for you. Get out a phone, get out a pen, a pencil. If you don't have paper, use the back of your hand. Write down the one part of your life or type it in. Hold each other accountable. Husband or wife, elbow jab your spouse if they're not doing it because they think they're too cool. Right, this is part of our problem too. So just go ahead and acknowledge what is that one area of life in which you need to better combine faith and the knowledge of Jesus and his message into and mix it up. What is that for you? Everybody got one? Everybody have one, yes? I'm not going to ask you to say it. Because for some of you, it might have just hit you for the very first time. For some of you, it's your relationship with your kids. You're relying on the church to raise your kids spiritually. It is not the job of the church to raise your kids spiritually. It's the job of the church to partner with you as parents so that you will better know how to raise your kids spiritually. It's on you. It's one of the, the, the most bizarre concepts I think that I've heard in the church today. You're going to bring somebody to church for a couple of hours a week and expect them to be spiritually mature. It's on you at home. We wouldn't expect to have a great athlete if they gave two hours a week to something. We wouldn't have, expect to have a great musician if they only practiced for two hours a week. And so then you're going to drop your kids off for a couple hours a week at church and expect them to be mature? Please. It's on you. We're here to help you. We're here to partner with you. So maybe that's that area of life in which you need to better combine faith and trust. So we look at this and there's, there, to me, verse 2, and we'll get, we're going to fly through the other verses, but this is just, man, it has, it has hit me so hard. We're not actually demonstrating and, and, and showing our trust and faith in God by combining it, by mixing it up. We're not doing it. Do you truly trust and have faith in God? You know, I think about it, how do you even examine if you have faith in God? I think faith is often demonstrated by surrender. Like, what's one way you would say right now, you're, you're, what's one thing you're truly surrendering to God? There was no joining together, coming together. They heard, but they didn't trust So even the ancient Israelites listening to this, they're listening to this message and they, they, needed to know, they needed to know that a knowledge of the Messiah, a knowledge of God, a knowledge of salvation, it meant nothing if you didn't actually trust in God. 
You can have every bit of knowledge you want, but if there's no faith, no true demonstration of trust in your life, there's no real relationship. And you will never enter the rest that is promised. It, in this illustration, if, and, and to me, this would be a parable, honestly, today. Jesus often, isn't that what he did? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. He comes in, see a Galilee. He preaches this amazing dynamic sermon. He just jumps into it. The first New Testament sermon that we have is Peter in Acts chapter 3. But Jesus often would go and he would just tell parables. What about the, and he would use fish and bread. I think today, because we love cake so much, he'd be like, is it, is, why do you expect to find rest when faith is like an egg and you throw it on top and you never mix it in? Quit being stupid. He may not say stupid, but maybe. It's what we're doing today. Three through five, for we have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest. If you actually have faith, if you actually have trust, you enter the rest. And he says, listen, for those who didn't, I already swore in my wrath, they're not going to enter my rest. So those, and when he's speaking to some of these people, these are people who knew who Yahweh was, who knew who God was, but he's letting them know, you're not going to enter my rest. You're not going to do it. Because they didn't combine, they didn't mix trust in God. Remember, they kept, even in the, in, the, in the wanderings of the wilderness, they kept questioning God. He would provide manna for the day. He's like, I'm going to keep doing it for you. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a double heaping on the, 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 the sixth day, just so on the, the day of rest you can have enough. Don't worry about it. You'll be good to go. And he kept showing his power and his might, but they wouldn't truly trust. They kept questioning. If you are constantly questioning God when you profess that you trust God, you need to examine your trust because you're actually living based on what he will do for you rather than what he has already done for you. And we're like, whoa. So he's letting them know, you're not going to enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he goes in and he uses creation that, listen, here's what God did. There is rest to be found. He created first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and on the seventh day he rests from that work of creation and now he's letting us know that that rest is found for eternity because that rest did not cease from that point. That's what this is speaking about. For eternity, there is now rest to be had in Christ. So here in verse 3, God punishes the Israelites for their lack of trust. Verse 4, God's image of rest is explained. And he starts to quote Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2. Where it says, before he died, Moses wrote their history and read it to them. He's calling it out. And it says, and on the seventh day, God, this is Genesis 2, 2 through 3. He's calling it out. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested. Sabbat. He ceased. He stopped. Here's one of the things that we need to understand about godly and biblical rest. Did you know that God intends for you to know more than what it is to be delivered from sin for eternity? I think we think that rest is, oh, I'll be okay for eternity. I'll have salvation through him. I'm good. I'm not going to be damned at the end of my life, okay? And that's, that's kind of how we process it. It's more than that, though. He actually intends for you to know what it is to overcome the power of sin in life every day. That's rest. 
I have rest regardless of the chaos that's happening around me, right? That's why I always pray in Philippians 4 when it talks about that peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't say that you have peace because there's no chaos. It says you'll have peace even in the midst of chaos. You can have rest in the midst of chaos. You can have rest in the midst of hardship because of your trust in God, that God can, yes, use even that in order to further his name, to further the kingdom, We have peace not because there's no storm. We have peace because we trust God in the midst of the storm. That's six and seven. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, it remains some still are not entering. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. They didn't really trust. They kept being disobedient. They kept doing what they wanted to do. So you can't tell me today that, hey, I'm going to enter into God's full rest and trust him. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go still do what I want to do and disobey God. That means you actually haven't believed. You haven't had faith and trust in him. And so in this passage, then it continues on to let us know in, in 6 and 7, once again, since therefore some, it remains for some to enter because of disobedience. Again, verse 7, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterwards, and the words that were already quoted, he already quoted these a couple of times in chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, and, I, and let every one of you hear this individually, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Combine the good news. Mix the good news with every part of who you are. If you're not doing that, you're hardening your heart. If you're not doing that, you're hardening your heart. Like, I, I, men. I have to believe that if just the men in this room right now, not counting the next service or the next service, not counting the crazy number of people watching online, if just the men in this room right now open their hearts fully to mixing the faith and trusting God in every part of our lives, we change West Michigan. There's just a reality to it. There's, there's a simple reality that if 11 yahoos who had no education can go do what they do, did and start traveling on boats to go places that were just crazy to even dream of going to, to think about this number of people sold out for Jesus Christ, leading our homes, teaching our children, and applying our faith and trusting in God in every part, we changed West Michigan. What's that part of your life that you need to mix faith into? Truly trust God. That means you have to change. You have to have a physical change, an action that is different than it was in order to demonstrate that. So here's Joshua, verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken on another uh, day later on. 
So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's rest to be had. Jesus is where we find rest. And if you enter his rest, you find rest from your work just as God rested from his work on the seventh day. One of the things that I, I, I encounter in this passage is even when it's speaking about Joshua, I think Joshua, right here, he is representing a, a going into the promised land, right? So there is a physical journey to be had, right? Literally, they, they were in, where did they start, the people of God? In, the, in where? With Pharaoh. Egypt. They traveled across the sea. And then God's promised them a new land, right? We know it today as Israel. And they make a physical journey. But what's being communicated here is that not only are we to make a physical journey, we are to make a spiritual journey. Maybe, perhaps, there are people in this room, we've made a physical journey even today. I went to church. Good for you. Have you made a spiritual journey of trusting in Christ in everything in your life? Maybe some of us need to take a spiritual journey of stepping into who he is, truly combining and mixing our faith, our trust in him with every part of life. Our life cannot remain the same and us expect to be used by God to proclaim his greatness. Can we stop telling God what we want from him and ask God what he desires of us? So we strive to enter rest and we strive to enter rest by trusting in him more. And if you want to trust in him more, you want to get to know him better. So as I, I look at this passage, I'm like, he's telling us, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. You have hardened your hearts. And he keeps calling these same things out. But he still lets us know that no matter what condition you're currently in, there's always an opportunity to find rest in the name of Jesus. Have you not seen, even in the most challenging of passages, there's always hope. There's always encouragement. But this is, this is how I would break down this. Just, I'm just going to stop here at verse 10. and um, This is how I would break down the ultimate rest found in Jesus. I'm going to call out just four or five things real quick that I see in these passages as, as, as I just kind of dissect it. One, if you really want to find the ultimate rest... You need to be honest about your current condition. That's verse 1 to me. He just says, listen, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Maybe some of you have failed to reach it. You need to be honest about your current condition. So if you really want to step in and enter and engage in rest, be honest about your current condition. Two, you need to combine the message of Christ with faith. You need to mix it up. You need, to, you need to examine whether or not you're truly trusting God in all parts of life, in your relationships, in your marriage, with your children, with your finances, with your jobs, with your career, and purchasing of homes. Everything is God's. So be honest about your current condition. Combine the message of Christ with faith. I think three through five is really, I just look at it and I go, and I'm trying to teach you, this is how immediately I just look at scripture and I start breaking it down. And I go, man, we need to know where, where rest is found. It's only found in Christ. We need to determine if we're actually taking a spiritual journey or just a physical journey. 
Getting in a car, driving to church on a Sunday morning does not mean that you're passionate for Jesus. Can I ask, does anybody here need to, need to take a greater spiritual journey toward Jesus Christ, to trusting in him? Does anybody need to do that? So some of you are like, you've arrived. You're like, mm, look at me, all right? I, I, I'm not beating up on anybody. What I'm telling you is I think that's the posture, though, of most of us. We think we're already good enough. You will never be good enough, but it's by grace and faith in Jesus Christ that he makes you whole. That's what happens when you're honest about your current condition and you start to mix it into with your life. The more I mix trust and faith into my life, into every part of it, the more I recognize how broken I actually am, but the more hope and joy I have because I know that I don't have to be made complete other than by Jesus Christ himself. I'm good. And then verse 10, he's like, listen, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. He, you, it means you, he took time from his work of creation. You take time to be with God. Do you truly know what it is to rest in him? Listen, I understand depression. I understand anxiety. I understand stress. I understand hardship. I don't understand every story represented in this room. I'm not claiming that. I understand that some, for some people, they're just simple. They're, because our bodies are broken because of sin, the fall, we have, some people have chemical imbalances that some of us are struggling with all types of, of issues and mental fatigue and everything else that comes in play and mental fatigue i'm convinced causes physical weariness and causes other problems in our life and i go man where where can we find rest and ultimately it is only in the name of jesus and so i just want us to sit for a moment and to reflect upon that, what's that one area? I'm going to come back to What's that one area that you need to say, I need to trust God more fully, and I'm going to do something about it? Can we just sit with this for a moment? Will you, will you pray with me? God, may we trust you more. May we trust you more. May we have a greater faith in you so that we can experience true rest. Because if we're honest, I think so many of us are still trying to run our own life and then asking you to jump in when it gets hard. <laughs> May we know what it is to step fully into your presence, to, to engage with you, and to recognize that we're no longer captive to anything else. <laughs>